Welcome to the Voice of Retail for the week of June 24th, 2019. I'm your host, Michael LeBlanc, and this podcast is brought to you in conjunction with Retail Council of Canada. In this episode, if you're a retailer in Canada, the name on your call display commanded your attention. Marina Strauss joins me today on her last day at the Globe and Mail as their veteran retail reporter as we turn the mic around with a look back at her rich career covering the retail beat, the state of retail in Canada, advice to retailers on dealing with the business media, and plans for the future. Next, live from the Pure Leader Podcasting Studio at Store 2019 in late May, an up-close interview with global retail strategist Carl Boutet, Chief Strategist and Board Advisor for Studio RX based in Montreal. We talk about his background in retail, travel to Egypt to share best retail practices, and views on the state of the retail nation in Canada and across North America. Next, we'll cover off retail this week with Untuck It expanding across Canada after posting Knock the Cover Off the Ball success at Sherway in Toronto, a look at shoppers on both sides of the border, Amazon steps up hiring for the Tawasin facility, Purolator's $1 billion investment rollout, Lululemon's Crops for Clothes Back to School kicks off in the U.S. now with Prime Day, Breakfast at Tiffany's Head Shops Left Behind, Longo's Builds Meals, Chronicling Grocery Store Format Changes, and Five Key Edible Takeaways. Sorry, no free samples. But first, let's listen into my interview with Marina Strauss. Marina, welcome to The Voice of Retail. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me, Michael. Well, it's a real treat. You and I have known each other for, for many years, and it's kind of fun for me to, so to speak, turn the microphone around and, and uh, talk to one of the leading journalists in the business community, I think not just in Canada, but around the world. So I've really been looking forward to the time we're going to spend together. Why don't we start with a little bit about you? How did you get into the the reporting business, the media business, and, and eventually your role covering the retail beat here at, uh, at the Globe and Mail? Well, it started uh, way back in university. I was an editor at the Varsity, so um, uh, a, a real passion. It was my hobby. I love journalism. It was a hobby that turned into my trade and my profession, um, so a true passion. And um, Worked uh, summers at the Montreal Gazette. Montreal Gazette was my mm. first uh, job. A uh, number of uh, areas, health, labor, um, went to the Globe and Mail on the news side. Uh, covered a lot of um, a lot of areas uh, on the news side. Went to Quebec a lot because I spoke French. Uh, mm. Covered uh, the first Quebec referendum. Uh, covered uh, um, uh, an inquiry into RCMP uh, wrongdoing and uh, came back, um, covered Ottawa, really did a a number of things, uh, developed a justice beat, so really (laughs) a lot of things. And eventually, um, uh, after uh, a maternity leave, uh, coming back to the Globe, the Globe was looking to broaden its... um, its readership in the business section, mm. and they asked me to uh, start writing features and uh, a broader look at uh, business and professions and careers um, to bring in more women into the section, um, uh, more uh, uh, more accessibility in the writing. So I started to do that. It morphed into uh, moving into consumer products, the cola wars, the beer wars. <laughs> those were the days that they were actual uh, uh, businesses here in those areas that, uh, that, that did the work here in Canada. And uh, marketing, and that morphed into uh, retail. Uh, so it was a great uh, background for retail. Mm. Uh, often did, uh, did did touch on retail. 
uh, in many ways. So I got that business background. Uh, so it was almost by accident, you might say, uh, but it was a great journey and uh, gave me a, a really strong foundation mm-hmm. in not only um, corporate takeovers, marketing, but really all aspects of business to uh, prepare for this retail beat. Well, it's it's uh, you touch on a couple of things that are that remind me of many people I speak to, which is you know they didn't really set their minds out to be retailers, but found themselves in this wonderful industry, or in your case, covering this industry. And just such a broad background brings you know, retail touches on so many different moving parts that it's it's great to have such a broad based background. Let's talk about your tradecraft, and and I'm curious about the stories that you write. You you know, long form stories, whether they're in the report on business, some great stories on, on uh, I, I remember the stories on Target and stories on Sears that really chronicle a nice long look and an in-depth look. So it feels like sometimes stories, I don't want to say drop on your lap, but kind of present themselves, right? So there's news about Hudson's Bay or there's news about a particular retailer, but in other times there's not really any news. How do you, how do you approach creating a story that covers retail when, you know, again, some are obvious that you're going to kind of investigate news or updates that come from it. But as an industry, how do you how do you frame your tradecraft? And- well, I would say number one, that's the value I hope I can add mm. to uh, to the work, and and that's a big value that um, the globe puts on on a on a journalist like me. You know, it comes down to um, keeping in touch with people, talking to people, reaching out. Um, coffees, lunches, mm. conferences, uh, really n- keeping in touch with your contacts and talking to them because, sure, there's the, 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 there's the news that presents itself, there's the press releases, um, there's the events, but really what I look for is what's happening behind the scenes. Mm. How can I give context to stories? And you really need to keep in touch with people in the industry or people on the fringes, the suppliers, mm. the lawyers, uh, the bankers. Sure. They know where the skeletons are. <laughs> and, um, you know... Uh, a good story, a story that's, that, that our readers want to read, will not only give you the news, it'll give you some insights, mm. it'll give you uh, some context, and um, it'll answer not only what happened, but why and how. And, um, you know, we look at these stories, I don't want to sound um, pretentious, or, but, but we try to really do case studies, especially when we do those mm. longer stories, um, really try to look at a situation and, um, and analyze it for our readers, because we have a pretty sophisticated readership, mm. and um, they, they expect much more than uh, just the surface information. And quite frankly, Michael, that's what I love to do. Mm-hmm. I, I, it was just part of my DNA to uh, keep digging, keep finding out. It was just a basic curiosity. So that's how I do my trade. I just ask the questions. Um, the questions were, um, were always fascinating to me. How does this work? Um, where did it start? Uh, why? Why did it happen? How did it? How did exactly. we get here? Kind of thing. Exactly. I, I think about your story. It's it's interesting because in the years over the years, you and I have sat beside each other at conferences, and it's interesting with your lens about well, I'm looking for something interesting to listen to, and you have to sit through a lot of conferences, I'm sure, and a lot of content to find something 
after a lot of experience, oh, that's interesting. That might lead me in, in a place. But a lot of it is, yeah, knew that. That's, you know, as you say, you have a sophisticated audience. Um, well, luckily, I was also interested in the subject. Retailing mm. is pretty interesting. It's um, a bit of uh, an intersection of uh, business and everyday life and something that was very accessible to a broad readership, which was always my mandate from the beginning mm. when they put me into business. Um, they really wanted to... Um, to, to cater to a wider audience. And that's how I found a great way to do that. Um, retail, everybody, everybody uh, could relate to, um, to, to retail. And yet there's a lot of sophisticated backroom work that's mm. happening that needed to be looked into. Mm. So I found it a fascinating beat. Well, that's a great segue. I want to get your advice for my listeners for the retail trade. When they see your name come up on their call display or your counterparts, <laughs> uh, that, that laugh, it's funny. Um, what's the best way to deal with or work with, I guess, better, better stated business media? I mean, the media is interested in covering your story. Sometimes you're very interested in getting the story out. What's, the, what's been your experience? What's the best way to work with uh, people like yourself and, and counterparts in, Take in the, the call. business? Take the call. You know, running away from the media mm. doesn't work these days. There's just too much transparency. There's too many other routes to uh, publicize matters and issues. If there are any tensions, uh, they'll usually surface. Uh, if they don't surface in the Globe and Mail, and hopefully Globe and Mail will get it first, mm. um, they will surface. They'll come up in a tweet. They'll come up on Facebook, Instagram, a picture. A picture tells a thousand words. Um, there's no use hiding. Uh, and really the executives who were open with me um, I think they got fair treatment and uh, they were able to tell their story. I really do think I let people tell their stories uh, when I have access. Give access to the media. They're not out there to eat you up. Uh, mm. They just want the information. Um, and uh, they're looking for the fair story. They're looking for the full story. I mean, transparency works both ways. We know as a journalist that if we run with a story that um, that has only one side or is just plain wrong or um, unfair, we hear about it in nanoseconds. Mm. It it comes. It surfaces also. It, it works. I guess both that comes ways. back to you. Comes back to you as, as right away. Right? It comes back and it goes very public. Mm. And um, journalists can be. Um, can feel the wrath of the public as mm. much as a retailer can. So uh, we're not looking to, you know, we're looking for stories. We're lo- just like the retailers uh, are always telling me that they want to tell stories for their customers. Our readers are our customers, and they also want to hear stories. So don't the frustrating part is when my name comes up on somebody's uh, <laughs> ID call and um, and they hesitate. Uh, that's when this dance starts. Oh, maybe we'll talk to you, but um, you know this will be off the record and this will be background and we can mm. only say this. Uh, it, it tell me the story. It, 
your customers are ready to accept that you're not 100% perfect. Um, I'm not a PR agency anyways. They don't expect that mm. from me, my readers. Uh, they want the full story. And um, I would hope that, and I think an, an, a growing number of retailers do realize this. And I certainly appreciate the access I've been given over the years, not from everybody, but <laughs> um, I would say more and more I did get access and I appreciated it, and I think our readers appreciate it, and I think everybody benefits. I think it's a win-win. So in the course of the 20-plus years you've been covering this beat, uh, there's been a lot of change in retail, though some things continue to remain the same. What, what, what have you seen that's changed in the retail industry here in Canada or, or hasn't changed at all, or what, what observations do you have over time? You know what? The, the basic theme has been an invasion of, uh, of the incumbents, an invasion mm. of, of retail. It started uh, with the U.S. invasion, the U.S. retailers coming here, Home Depot, uh, uh, Walmart, um, one after another, mostly big box retailers, it was an invasion. I use that word often uh, in mm. my stories. Today, it's the same theme. A lot of it is, but today it's it's Amazon, the invasion mm. of Amazon and the invasion of e-commerce. And obviously, the answer to your first question was e-commerce. Sure. That's what's changed, and we all know that. Um, we, and it's not only in retail. It's it's everywhere. Retail has been hit hard buy it. And interesting enough, the industry I'm in, media, has mm -hmm. also been hit sure. hard uh, by it. And I think I've been able to learn a lot just by experiencing mm -hmm. it myself in our own business. And I think that's made it, um, it's helped it to resonate for me and helped inform my, my own questioning and curiosity mm -hmm. about it. Um, it's happening everywhere, and um, looking at how retailers are responding is is so interesting and so transferable as as lessons for for other industries because other industries haven't been hit quite as hard. Others have been, mm. and we're all learning from each other. And really, that's how I see my stories. They're, they're lessons. It's business. You can learn from so much. Um, so some things haven't changed much. I mean, look at Hudson's Bay. Mm. I'm in the middle of covering the privatization <laughs> of, of Hudson's Bay. The story that Bay. just keeps giving, right? Uh, I mean, exactly. my goodness. Exactly. I was covering it, um, you know, around 2000. Five. Uh, well, you and I chatted just... <laughs> in 2002. I looked this up, and you called me. I, I had just launched HBC.com, and you were doing a story on uh, returns. And it was a great story because I love talking about returns because it's the un... You know, if you don't do returns right as a retailer, particularly as an online retailer, you're, you're in big trouble, and you're, you kind of had figured that out. And I was talking about a, uh, a bike helmet that I had ordered from Sportcheck at the time, and it arrived, and it was all dented, and I'm like, oh, couldn't you pack? Like, they literally picked it off the shelf, put it in a box, and sent it to me. And I was relaying that I called them, and they took care of the problem in a second. So it was funny. I don't think I told you this. As soon as I got off the phone with you, I rang up my counterpart at Sportcheck. I'm like, listen, <laughs> I just told what I think is a good story for you, but you're probably going to be in the paper. And he goes, oh, 
Okay. <laughs> so, well, you know, back to 2000, 2002, right? So some things have not changed a lot. <laughs> uh, returns is still a huge yeah. issue for retailers, especially in e-commerce, and they're still grappling with what's the most efficient, yeah. cost-effective way to deal with returns, especially with more apparel and shoe uh, e-commerce mm. today. That's evolved a lot. So the themes are often the same, um, but the iterations are a bit different, and that's a- another reason I've just been able to delve into this area so much. I have the background. And funny enough, the more you think that you know, the more you don't, you realize you don't know. For sure, for sure. Um, And that's really kept me going also, just to keep on learning. I've Mm. been learning all along. It's been, um, never stopped learning. Well, you had a big announcement recently. And, and it was interesting to me, you announced you were going to be retiring from, from the Globe and Mail, so we'll talk about that. And it was interesting to me to watch the reaction from various, like you had a great reaction on, on you tweeted. I mean, if I would sum it I up. I tweeted, I went on Facebook, <laughs> I linked in. This was a modern uh, retirement. This is a modern retirement <laughs> announcement. It's not, it's, not a, it's not a tombstone location thing in the Globe and Mail. Um, but the, the response, if I summed it all up, was going to miss you. Because there's you generally it's fair, tough, but informed journalism. So you know, generally, I think the industry. I know Deanne Breesbach uh, from Retail Council Canada did that kind of tweet. Essentially, is like we're going to miss that kind of informed journalism. But let's talk about you. What's what's next for you after such a an interesting life uh, covering an interesting beat? Well, there'll probably be some more writing I'll do Mm -hmm. on on retailing. I'm not leaving the area at all. I've already been asked to do some writing Mm. in it. Mm -hmm. And um, Is there a book in your future, perhaps? Perhaps a book, perhaps on Hudson's Bay. Mm. Uh, It's... uh, a remarkable uh, company, uh, our oldest, our, our oldest retailer. So a lot of history, a lot of personalities there, a lot of mm. characters, and a lot of uh, business intrigue <laughs> over the years. <laughs> Maybe I can interview you mm. for that one. Um, uh, so lots of possibilities. I'd like to um, I'd like to do some volunteer work mm. for some journalism associations. I really believe in journalism today mm. more than ever. I yep. always did. I always thought it was important to have an independent voice um, overseeing various areas of life and business. Yeah. Um, so there's a number of journalism associations, foundations that I plan to be active mm. in um, just to 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 get that message out that journalism matters yes. and um, and you know I've got two out of three of my kids are getting married this yeah, year there's congratulations. lots it's coming exciting. up lots. so um, yeah I'm very excited for the next chapter uh, I've got a lot of options mm. and I think it's a good time to just look at doing things a little differently yeah but um, I'll be I'll be looking at you'll be around. Still. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, I'm, I'm sure many of us uh, look forward to seeing your name continue on the uh, on the call display when you call and, and uh, continue to chat. When when are you wrapping up here at the Globe and Mail? Uh, officially at the end of this week, so June twenty eighth. Oh, I got you right at the one. end of the week. That's wow, right. Um, but I'll be around, um, mm-hmm. probably still be on the Globe email and uh, mm-hmm. have a, a few. Uh, 
uh, a few tasks to finish yeah. off. And um, uh, but officially, June twenty eighth. That's it. I'm and, out. And otherwise, I guess people, folks uh, who are listening, might get in touch with you on LinkedIn. I think you're on on For sure. LinkedIn. So there's a way to kind of stay keep in touch with you and, and keep sure. up to date. Fantastic. Yes, and I hope I do keep in touch with people. Uh, you know, it was all about the people mm. who uh, who provided me with the feedback. Uh, I appreciated all the feedback, all the insights, all the time people gave me to really learn more about, about their companies, mm. about the industry, about related industry. It was... Uh, it was something I appreciated a lot and really helped me make my stories better. Well, you know, on behalf of the industry, if I can be so bold, thank you for your contribution to the retail industry in Canada. It was, I think it was much valued. We're going to miss you. Uh, but it's great to hear that we're, we're not really going to miss you, that you're still going to be around covering the industry. So thanks again for joining me on The Voice of Retail. And uh, have a great week. Uh, big parties coming up, I'm sure, as you... Uh, <laughs> as you, as you uh, leave from these doors. But uh, again, uh, best of luck for whatever comes next. Thank you, Michael. Carl, welcome to the Pure Leader Podcast Studio at Store 2019. How are you doing today? I am doing fantastic. Well, listen, you and I have known each other for quite a while, but uh, for the listeners of the Voice of Retail Podcast, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are today. Your, your role is uh, advising some of the most senior leaders in retail. Tell us a bit about yourself. Thanks. Um, yeah, so I, I spent the better part of 10 years doing my what I call my hard knocks retail school, doing store-in-store for Costco. Uh, basically launching their first uh, wave of mobile and then some ancillary technologies as well, but focused on mobile, a thing back in the day you might remember called Cantel. Oh, I remember them. Remember that? That's a Roger, that was Rogers, right? Ted Rogers' Great Adventure, right? The, The board, I remember I was a Rogers employee and the great story about Ted was that he said, I've got this, I've seen this new thing, and it's a, the board didn't believe him, and his wife didn't back him, so he started Cantel, right, separately from Rogers. Yeah, yeah, so he had, I mean, yeah, he was an amazing innovator, and on the technology side, he had one, one challenge, though, is that all his money was tied up in the technology, and he had no money for the retail. Hmm. So he basically had to partner with groups that would do would become master franchisors, and I was part of one of those groups. Hmm. And uh, just by some interesting circumstances, uh, this opportunity with Price Club back in the day. Yeah. Uh, so can't tell Price Club. So we're dating this already a bit to back to the mid mid late nineties. Uh, so ramped that up, opened 65 locations uh, as a business owner as well, you know, a partner and, and, and managing director. Uh, learned a lot about operations, the discipline of Costco. So I was not a Costco employee per se. Mm. It was my business, but I was in their home. Sure. And, and I was frontline with them. I was actually their first external we were the first external company that allowed them to have our own staff. Like it was in Costco staff, so it was it was a really good learning experience. Um, actually, helped them. Uh, uh, I was part of the team that launched ecom as well for Costco, mm-hmm. more on the logistics side. Because mm-hmm. again, for them, it was this idea of drop shipping in 2004 was really like, how do we do this? They're very sure. good pallets. So, so as soon as things got away from pallets, they th- had a tendency to come to us and see how we could help them. So uh, and so that was a really good and saw you know this massive business grow at a, a really a strong pace. The Canadian market was always been very good to Costco, and then I really flipped and basically went to support, uh, take that knowledge and launched a, a, a consulting career supporting independent retailers, hmm. uh, and did that with Mega Group uh, for. Uh, 
better part of almost seven years. No, that's that's a furniture buying. Uh, right. What would you call it? conglomerate or yeah, they, they, co-op? They, it's or? a co-op. I mean, it's not legally a co-op, but they have the co-op flaw. They're owned by right. their members, uh, and it's eight hundred uh, mainly furniture, appliance, and electronics. And they got into some other categories, but the reality of the independent retailer, you know, what are yeah. the struggles? So having seen the Costco side of what they were up against, right. and then saying, okay, we you know how how do they remain relevant in, in mainly secondary and even some tertiary markets. Mm. So very different reality, but really, really sure. interesting. So their whole digital transformations and, and, and helping them better understand and creating new concepts. So uh, again, fantastic learning experience. Uh, and then for the, now for the past almost three years, back really fully independent. Uh, my time is evenly split right now between uh, CloudRaker, which is it was a, a first-generation digital marketing agency. Mm. It was you know building did like the first websites for Bell, and now is mm. taking more retail focus because they're part of this group called Altavia, which is out of France, which is Carrefour's um, marketing extension or maybe a marketing agency, and now global. And then and the other part of my time is with the Bensadun School, which I'm always excited to talk about because it's a super um, inspiring uh, opportunity there to you know form and to train or educate tomorrow's retail leaders and that's at McGill University right uh, yeah at McGill University so this the first class uh, well the first concentration class launched last fall uh, this coming year we'll be launching a master's and it's exciting to see right more formal programs more education because for a long time there was not such in place right you had a couple of schools who were doing it but you didn't have yeah, so the difference... certainly didn't have a master's per se, No, right? so the big difference with this program is it's an actual school, meaning that it's not just a concentration within the marketing, right. which most others are. There's, there's a certificate or there's something. Yeah. So you do a couple of classes or, on, you know, focus more on retail. This is, a, this is an actual full program, mm. which... And the, 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 the most exciting part for me is the multidisciplinary aspect. I think it speaks really to where, as an industry, we need to focus beyond the marketing and, and the merchandising and the finance and look at sustainability and look at health and wellness, mm. look at uh, design thinking, look at, you know, so incorporating in McGill as a very diverse academic, uh, you know, background so it can pull sure. the best researchers in all these fields. So I want to get, I want to get back to talking about that because I want to get back to your observations of retail and how it's evolved and what it takes to compete. Now you also travel the world and, and, and speak, and you just got back from, uh, I was reading online, just got back from Egypt and Cairo. Yeah. Tell me about that. How did that come up, and what, what was that like? Yeah, so it was fascinating. I mean, uh, how did it come up? I mean, I, I guess just through my network, somebody reached out and, and uh, said, we're doing this first ever retail summit in for Egypt. And I'm mm. like, well, Egypt, okay. I mean, we all have the same images that conjure up into our mind about what Egypt sure. should be like, and, you know, and and pyramids and, 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 and mummies and all that stuff. But yeah. it's, I mean, when I started looking into actually what's happening there and, uh, and, and there's a hundred million people in this country mm. and a chartered bank, uh, predicted, <clears throat> chartered bank predicted that by 2030, it would be the seventh largest economy in the world. Wow. I had no S- idea. <clears throat> surpassing Germany and Japan. Mm. So when you think of market opportunity, and you know, we look, we see what happened in China, what's happening in India, and these these large economies. They get an opportunity when they grow like this to leapfrog. Right. So it was really, you know, I was walking around saying, okay, what is it that they can just go right over? Like, what is it, you know, what part? So, for instance, one of the uh, ministers that was there was proud to announce that they were uh, just getting into uh, business registries. They even had business registry wow. in Egypt. 
it's an interesting concept is if, if you were to start all over again from you know not nothing but if you were to start all over again what would you do with 100 million people an average age of 22 young country still growing at like 5 to 10 percent that's why this 2030 prediction is really really based on demographics it's the fact that I mean it's still a you know a poor uh, country the difference maybe with Egypt compared to like a China or whatever what makes it a little more complicated is it it was once a rich country yes you know the jewel of the Nile yeah so there is that you know that lingering but but they know they know they got to pivot the government making these, these big investments around creating 14 brand new cities. 14 they, new cities. Cities. And uh, hmm. a new administrative capital. So it's like, it's like they created an Ottawa. Wow. Because they're, they're, they, to pull out Cairo is 20 million people. It just gets, it's busting at the seams. Sure. So they, they got to create so these 14 new cities. And when you're in that part of the world, water is a big issue. Yeah. So they have to irrigate. They have to put all the infrastructure in. So this is these are greenfields, literally. So there are questions like, how do we build the best new commercial centers? Like, how do we, how do we think mm. about commercial? Fascinating. And, and for these 14 cities, because we need we need to get people to go want to go to these cities and, and, and start their lives up again, you know, in a whole new, in new place. Same country, but new place. So there's a lot of yeah, really interesting opportunities happening there, and the way they're thinking about it. I mean, they have their issues as, as well, but sure. Um, but it, it, exciting, very, very exciting. So that's an interesting segue because it triangulates to what um, the school at McGill is working on and what your observations are. What in your career has been some of the things that have changed for retailers? Like that, you know, it's one of those like a good consultant question: start, <laughs> stop. You know, well, one, start, how many stops and how many starts? What are, what are those things? So, so I think the way I was really alluding to it, the school and the multidisciplinary you know, approach, and this came from Mr. Ben Sidoon, who donated the money to launch the school. Is like my business the today. Founder of uh, Aldo, Aldo, right? Aldo Shoes, right? right. Aldo Ben Sidoon. And, you know, he said, my business is way more complex than pricing and merchandising. Mm. I need data scientists. I need to understand environmental impacts. I need all these things. So how do I, how do I, uh, find that talent and I think that's our biggest complexity right now is we can't just be good you know before you had a great you know good or great product at a good or great price and a good or great location you were going to you were going to make you do it. okay right yeah you do now okay. the, the, the touch points are so much more complex and just mm. being able to maintain and stay on top and and our biggest challenge I think is our linear thinking is the fact mm. that we're trying to see you know we we try to project out and understand these things as they go in a very linear fashion when we're anything but linear right now the acceleration is is, is really geometric and some oh yeah, Expe- exponential. It's exponential, and and, and and exponential more than just fifteen percent year over year ecom growth. I think that's we, we sort of see this nice linear trajectory when we see that and say, okay, well we can we can adjust to that. The reality is that that's not what you're adjusting to. You're adjusting to the digital influence, which mm. is way more than the fifteen percent. Right. And the, to adjust to that digital influence is, a, is an iterative mindset that we're as an industry I think really struggling to, to come to grasp with, and where you're seeing. These big acquisitions like Walmart acquiring Jet and three billion dollars—they're not acquiring; they're acquiring talent. I mean, that's what these re- you know the retailers right. are trying to—is how we get these skill sets, how we get more importantly these mindsets. And and you know you mentioned uh, Walmart. I think they they present a good case study of how to do it well. They seem to have ingested Jet uh, and really ingested the culture and the people, and have really done. Absolutely. You know, if you think about. Uh, the, their performance in the last, even the last year. I mean, their their dot com performance is outstanding, and I think you're right. I think that attributes that to a new culture. I mean, if you go back 20 years, Walmart's dot com was a JV with SoftBank, and it was in, you know, it was really it felt uh, separate from the business. Yeah. And it, it the performance, I think they got lapped really. Absolutely. But uh, you know that's not the case anymore, and it, 
you know, I mean, people often ask me who the next Amazon is. I often say, well, Amazon's the next Amazon, by the way. They're not done. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, uh, you know, Walmart is, is really making I'm, impressive straight strides. I, th- right? I think their openness to try new things, this IRL lab that they have right now, yeah, which, yeah. you know, <laughs> the figure that blows my mind out of that lab is I believe it's every minute. It might be even every second. There's one... 1.6 terabytes of data wow. that I believe that, that was 100 servers in the back yeah. so every let's say every second just to make make the point here that 1.6 terabytes of data that they're pulling out of this 60,000 square foot store it's not even a full footprint for Incredible. that is three and a half years worth of music <laughs> so it would take you three and a half years to listen to what they're seeing in one second. It's a good startling factoid, by the way. I love that factoid. It's crazy. So, it's, But their mindset, what are they going to do with that? It's obviously way more data that they're going to yeah. you know, figure out. With the, with the, but just the fact that they're doing sure. it is already super impressive. So uh, you're based in Montreal. And I wanted to talk just in the last kind of couple of minutes we have together. Uh, the Montreal retail economy is doing very well. Absolutely. Um, you know, I was looking at numbers. They're up 8% year over year in March, last Stats Canada numbers. What do you attribute that to? I think is it, you know, Quebec had a long, a long period of not so great growth. Yeah. We've seen tremendous investment in infrastructure, for example. That's, yeah. You know, every time I go to Montreal, it, I almost don't recognize the path from the airport anymore. But it, yeah. it's really good days in retail for, uh, for Quebec, I feel. Yeah, I think there's been, you know, it's a reinvestment. There's still a lot going on. The project I'm probably most excited about right now is the Eaton Center in on St. Catherine Street. That's mm. basically it was gutted. Yeah. And and the 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 anchor is going to be a food a, a timeout market. Is you know, oh, right, really innovative right. food concept, which is this you know high end. Let's think about it as a high end food court, but with all sorts of entertainment, cooking mm. classes. Like timeout is from uh, originally from London, but Lisbon is really where they got their right. their start. They just opened their first one in North America in Miami their second one is going to be Montreal this mm-hmm. fall so that's that's I think going to shift what's happening with uh, you know with St. Catherine Street now, St. Catherine Street is actually being dug up right now so I don't know that's, that's been a, many many yeah. many months of yeah, months and years probably. So, and 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 then there's this other project that's you know always uh, getting ready to start is Royal Mount, which is mm. a, a carbon layout project. I'd say you know now the latest number is it's a billion and a half dollar wow. commercial, you know, the largest uh, project in in Canada. That's that the, the land is there. They just got to knock down some buildings and at the busiest intersection in Montreal, at the corner of the uh, Carry and Metropolitan. So, uh, if listeners want to get a hold of you and, and learn more about you, how do they get a hold of you, Carl? Uh, Carl Boutet, Carl with a C B O U T E T. Find me on LinkedIn or pretty much any other social media network that yeah, I'm pretty easy to find. Well, fantastic. Thanks for joining me today in the Voice of Retail and in the Pure Later podcast studio here at Store 2019. I wish you, uh, wish you well and safe travels. Thank you so much, Michael. All right, thanks to Marina and Carl for being my special guests for this episode. Now, let's hit the highlights from Retail This Week e-newsletter, biggest retail weekly in Canada. You can subscribe on retailcouncil.org for free. I put that together each and every week, 51 weeks of the year, and uh, cover off the top stories in uh, retail news uh, in Canada and around the world. Kicking off with Untuck It uh, launches multi-store Canadian expansion. This from Retail Insider. If you're not familiar with Untuck It, uh, they got about 50 stores in the U.S. I had no idea this retailer existed until my good friend and Lister Dean Perry, uh, now from Atomic Reach, re- you know, we were traveling together in in, uh, in Soho, actually, and we found Untuck It. He had already been buying stores. So it's men's shirts, and I think they also have women's now as well, that uh, is meant to be untucked, as the saying um, goes. But, you know, it's funny. I thought it was, what a niche. Uh, how successful can this be? Well, as it turns out, 
Uh, not only were they successful in general, uh, they've got uh, Wayne Gretzky as their brand ambassador. And when they opened up in Canada, it was a wild success. Uh, their Sherway location turned out to be their number one performing store in December out of all 50 stores in the U.S. So clearly that pointed in the direction of Canadian expansion. So congratulations uh, to uh, the folks at Untuck It. Uh, some article, uh, sorry, some interesting uh, research from Strategy Magazine, courtesy of Strategy, around Canadian versus American shoppers. And, uh, you know, we, if you're a retailer, you know there's a difference if you work on both sides of the border, if you have vendors uh, who work on both sides of the border, you know there's a difference in Canadian consumer as much as, you know, there's a, a Canadian consumer versus an American consumer. But in general, we know there's some differences. Um, this article highlights that Canadians are a skeptical bunch. I've always talked about uh, Canadians being a measure twice cut once consumer this says 43 percent versus 33 percent of americans agree with the statement i'm skeptical of the effectiveness of all-in-one products anyway some great research um you know one of those good research pieces that confirms what uh what we already know or and uh, you know a few interesting surprising facts so check that out uh amazon increases hiring so Tawasan, they've got another uh, one of their giant warehouses uh, opening up uh, in Tawasan on the west coast uh, and they're going to—they're looking to hire 700 workers uh, to to uh, staff that site. Uh, and now, that estimates that estimate is written to about 800. Uh, so they're starting to hire in September and or October. That from Business in Vancouver. Uh, from National Post, the catcher's mitt of packages. Purelater eyes a U.S. market a billion dollar investment rollout. So big announcements here from Purelater this week. Um, you know, John Ferguson, their, their uh, great president, actually, there's a video here of an interview with him uh, with uh, BNN as well. Check that out. Uh, you know, he's, he's going to from 50,000 packages processing to 150,000 packages processing per hour. There's a lot of things to unravel uh, in this announcement. It's a big investment over a number of years. So check that out. That from the National Post and BNN. You want to check out the video from BNN. Uh, from the start, talking about Lululemon looking to P-based pants as the next frontier so looking beyond uh, cotton and beyond some of the tech fibers and they're looking at uh, different initiatives uh, uh lululemon you can count on them technically always being uh, being in the lead or being ahead a reminder uh that uh, retail conditions seminar for members uh the spring edition happens on uh, on wednesday this coming wednesday that's a report i put together for the members only uh, retail council of canada members that uh Chits and chats with uh, quick interviews, C-level executives across the country, and kind of takes the pulse of retail. In this edition, uh, we talked about uh, how business was up until just after um, uh, just after May two four weekend. Uh, again, so if you remember, check that out. Uh, let's see. In around the world, a retail delivery war. So it's interesting. Um, and and in article in Forbes and and. Um, starts to talk about Prime Day. So Prime Day, Amazon's Prime Day has been expanded a couple of days. And, and, you know, there's two schools of thought around what to do about Prime Day. Uh, School of thought one is to ignore it because by participating in Prime Day as a different retailer, you basically validate Prime Day and make it into a bigger thing than it already is. Uh, Other school of thought, and and certainly eBay has taken that approach, uh, let's take them head on and and let's compete against them. And, And it looks like Target uh, and Walmart are also going to be doing that in the U.S. So, you know, the question, though, is, uh, is this just a big race to the bottom? I mean, does it just move up uh, Black Friday, not Black Friday, but does it just wind up moving up back to school up to, you know, late, uh, you know, earlier in the summer? So I think it's July 15th that that's going to be happening. So check that out, article uh, from Forbes magazine, uh, featuring uh, featuring some great uh, commentary there from um, 
from a number of different uh, number of different folks. Um, lunch at Barney's, breakfast at Tiffany's. This is from CNBC. This is a, an interesting article highlighting the importance now that restaurants have uh, in um, in grocery not in grocery stores but in department stores. And and you know if you've ever been to uh, the Nordstroms, they've got a great restaurant, uh, Basili. Uh, Restoration Hardware or RW's got a great restaurant that, that they run themselves. So this is kind of an old concept, come around to be a new concept. You know, Breakfast at Tiffany's a classic, uh, classic um, uh, movie that captured the time, but that time seems to have returned. Now, whether it's both uh, traffic driving and or whether that's also uh, a little bit of margin. I mean, uh, Craig Patterson talked about how malls are creating bespoke food courts or food districts as, as traffic drivers. So maybe there's a little bit of both uh, tucked into there. Uh, Dress Barn announces first closures. Uh, 600 they're closing 650 stores in the U.S. by 2020. Uh, not a big name in Canada. It's kind of an unfamiliar name to most, but Dress Barn, uh, you know, is one of those, uh, so to speak, uh, niche retailers. But it uh, looks like they're going to shut down pretty much all of their locations, 650 locations. So I think, uh, you know, caught up in uh, the changing times. Article here uh, from the New York Times on uh, uh, just all about uh, Walmart has its uh, tracking checkout. It's tracking uh, tracking uh, theft at their checkout with uh, AI powered cameras in a thousand stores. So we'll see a lot more of that, I'm sure, uh, leveraging the power of the predictive power of AI and you know gathering all that data and just looking for anomalies. Uh, great article. Moving on to retail news for entrepreneurs. Bookstores find growth as anchors of authenticity. So that's so interesting, right? Because at one point it's kind of ebbed and flowed. The superstores were going to take out and and you know wiped out a lot of big uh, or sorry small community bookstores. But this one, you know, this article highlights that uh, book, big chains once posed a threat, but indies are thriving by hosting events, adding non-bookstore merchandise, becoming community hubs. So we see that in in ways uh, large and small. I mean, Indigo. Uh, positions itself and, and merchandise certainly as a cultural department store, knowing that, that books may or may not be enough and hosting authors, so indies can participate in that as well. Uh, also in uh, in entrepreneurs, this uh, head shops left behind by cannabis legislation. So if you if you page back a couple episodes in the uh, the cannabis sorry the economist cannabis edition, I talked to Robin Ellens from uh, the Friendly Stranger. You know, longtime supporter of the culture and, and to a fair degree, uh, accountable and not accountable, responsible for the legalization of cannabis, but now kind of being left on the outside because you can't roll in cannabis into a head shop. And now cannabis stores can carry head shop material, but not the other way around, if you know what I mean. Uh, so this from the Edmonton Journal. So good exploration of that uh, bit of thorny issue. And hopefully we'll work to get uh, to get that resolved over time. Great entrepreneurs and, and by all means shouldn't be, uh, shouldn't not be left behind. Uh, spotlighting grocery retail. So there's a great article here from Canadian Retailer on the uh, kind of a summary article on the different thing, uh, the different formats of grocery that have evolved and that have presented themselves. So that's a great uh, overview article. Article from Supermarket News: Longo is building a build-your-own-meals under the pilot uh, at their Maple Leaf uh, Square store here in uh, Toronto. Uh, they have a central kiosk, and basically you build a meal kit. Is basically what it is. You know, with your protein and your meats and starches and garnishes and you know, it, it's interesting because it addresses one of the shortcomings of meal kits, which is it's a fixed, you know, you, you either like it or you don't. It's a fixed product, um, and you're a little constrained, I suppose, uh, in a in a home-delivered meal kit in one way. Uh, but this is Longo's approach to saying, well, let's try something different. A, let's try to leverage our existing base and, you know, acquire a meal kit, basically, uh, meal kit uh, buyers and, and allow them the ultimate range, not ultimate, but 
a nice uh, way to customize their own meal kit on the go. So good luck uh, to Longos. We'll be keeping a close eye on that. Uh, five key takeaways from the future of edibles roundtable. So this is from uh, the Globe and Mail. And this is uh, Sylvain Charlebois, who we've talked to before on the podcast. So look back a couple of episodes. We had a couple of conversations, one of which was about edibles. Uh, Sylvain's, uh, you know, very famous for uh, talking about how Canadians were expecting a big party, but they wound up with a, a boring party in a, in a, basically in a basement with no balloons. So anyway, he just, he just covers off a couple of interesting things about uh, expectations and about how the government is operating and even some gaps in the regulatory framework uh, between Health Canada and the CFIA, uh, Consumer Food in- Inspection Agency, on, uh, on edibles. So it's a, a really interesting read, uh, both for grocers and also for, uh, for those in the cannabis space. Uh, and Toonies for Tummies doubles the store count thanks to Empire. So Empire, which is uh, Sobeys et al., has, has come on board. They went from 550 to 1,100 stores. Uh, so they're really doing uh, a great job of expanding that very worthwhile a charity that feeds uh, feeds tummies, feeds young kids who are looking for a meal. So that's a wrap on this edition of The Voice of Retail. If you like this podcast, you can subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to recommend to a friend or colleague in the retail industry. You can also ask your favorite home devices, Amazon Echo, Google Home, to play the most recent edition. I'm Michael LeBlanc, founder and president of Amy LeBlanc Company, Inc. And you can learn more about me on www.amyleblanc.co or, of course, on LinkedIn. Until next time, have a great week.